Hi, I'm Beck Rayner, and this is the Military Wife Life podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports, and embraces the spouses behind the military members by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care and our mental health. Let's do this together. Want to join a bank that just gets Defence Life? Defence Bank is one of Australia's largest customer-owned banks. They have 33 on-base branches across Australia, an award-winning banking app that allows you to do all your banking wherever, whenever, and Defence Bank offers competitive products and services tailored for ADF members and defence spouses. Visit defencebank.com.au today and see how easy your banking can be. Well, welcome Julia and Jai to the Military Wife Life podcast. Thanks for having us. Well, I guess if we can get straight into it, Jai... When you first met Julia, or even I guess before you met Julia, did you have any reservations about how a relationship would work when your job takes you away and I guess defence demands so much of you? Absolutely, because like, you know that you're going to go away and you're going to work long hours and sometimes, you know, for like literally for like months at a time or most of the year. And if you're looking at getting into like a long-term relationship, you know that's the circumstances you're going to put on to um, another partner. That weighs heavily on you. So you need to like first of all determine, you know, whether this is the person or someone you can have a long-term relationship with. And, you know, you know, the constant moves and everything and being preoccupied all the time with work. You have to have, like, um, your reservations as to whether the relationship's going to work out. And then, of course, you've got, like, you know, what are their life goals? And, like, you know, like when you're asking them to be, like, a defence spouse and so, you know, is it fair to them and how is it going to affect them? So do you have to consider about, like, how it's going to work? You're going to have those reservations. And does that put, a, I guess, an extra layer of pressure on the relationship fairly early on because you kind of have to feel out what you both want from the relationship early on because of the extra pressures that defense brings into the relationship? Yeah, I think so. Like, um, I think it comes like um, a question for like the, the partner, whether they can accept it and cope with the demands of defense lifestyle. Once you kind of clue them into what it's actually like and what not guess in a way that they're signing up for. And yeah, you do have a uniqueness of a defense relationship compared to couples that are not in defense. A lot of things are thrust on you and you're forced to address a lot of those serious topics like living arrangements life goals and maybe you know kids are like that early in the relationship due to like the defense demands even if you weren't don't have to address or weren't thinking that you're going to address them you suddenly have to put fill out paperwork or you've got to almost sometimes categorize your own relationship in some way so like you've got to go oh is this person dependent or not and it kind of like indirectly or by doing that it's also asking you like where is your relationship at with you know with this person and julia did you feel like because you're not the defence member in the relationship and you don't know the ins and outs of what this posting means and where the defence member wants to go in their career and, and where that would take them around the country. What was your thought process going into the relationship and how you thought defence might affect the relationship? Yeah, it was interesting because we met 10 days shy of a deployment. So we had a similar friend network, but we'd never met before. And it was just right place, right time. And initially when he said he was deploying in 10 days, I thought that that was some kind of pickup line or like a a joke. And then it was kind of like, no, actually, like, this is what I'm here to do. I'm here on my leave to see my family before I go. Um, And it's seven months. And that kind of added straight away to like, holy heck, defence is this different beast. And um, it is something that you haven't really thought of much outside of the history books in your schooling lessons. Um, So for me, it was quite early on 
this is actual defence life, all the regulations that that came with, you know, the times that he could email, the phone calls, what he could say, the Rocco leave. And then there was the returning home um, and being able to even re-engage that way because he obviously had to do screening post-deployment and medicals before he could come home. And I think it was about a month that he was back before he actually returned to the town that our families were from at which time I also returned there so we could see one another. Um, so it was definitely more like around the eight and a half month stage between when we initially met each other and when we were able to see each other again. In between that, it was just, you know, sporadic conversations, mainly on email. Man, I, th- I bet those 10 days must have been magical for you guys to not wait for each other for that long a time, but I guess, still be willing to be in a relationship when he got back from such a long period of time of being apart. But in saying that, do you feel like it actually formed a really good basis for a relationship because you talked a lot via email and probably asked each other questions and had got to to know each other properly via email? Yeah, it was like that. So when we met, like, I actually knew that Jai was the one, like, the moment that he first said something to me. And I think a couple of days before he actually left for the deployment, but once he was already back in his posted location and no longer in the town with our families, I just texted him and said, you know, if he wanted to keep in touch while he was away, this was my email address. And I just got a simple text message back from him with his email. And then I kind of didn't do anything with that. And then there was just a sporadic email there one time and it just went from there. We would write backwards and forwards. And we always say that the strength of our relationship really was made then and there in that time because the one thing that that deployment did was... He had so many people that he needed to utilise his phone call time for, understandably. And, you know, we were still just figuring out, like, who each other was um, and, you know, if this was anything. So we largely stuck to just being able to communicate by email. And the one thing that that meant was we had a lot of backwards and forwards where you could put so much more into an email than you could a phone call because you weren't on a time limit um, and you weren't trying to think of, or what have I told you? What have I not told you? What's actually important to fit into this time? So we had a lot more getting to know you. It was kind of like the whole ABCs of everything, which really worked for us because then by the time we did catch up again in person, we had basically like not run out of conversation, but we had explored every topic in the universe pretty much. Yeah. So I guess you guys probably felt like you really knew each other, but You'd only been in each other's presence for not a long, a great deal of time. Jai, how did you go into that deployment thinking, um, I was going to go into this deployment single, fancy free, and I've met someone just before before leaving. What were you thinking when you went into the deployment after meeting Julia? I certainly wasn't really expecting to. I I was kind of trying to put like no pressure on her at all like kind of like, I guess the main thing worry I had is like, oh, look, I've met Julia, I'm about to deploy and like, that's a pretty heavy, you know, thing to sort of drop on someone, and I kind of didn't want to pressure her or, in, like, in some kind of way, to feel like she, like, kind of had to keep talking to me. I didn't want it to to feel like the weight of the deployment meant that, like, she had to talk to me or anything like that. You know, I didn't want to kind of like feel like I was exploiting it, even accidentally. Yeah, it was just like what you're saying. Like, all of the actual talking kind of like alleviated that, and I kind of felt like I wasn't putting pressure on her because we were just having like the long, detailed, written out conversations, just due to the format, you know, more in-depth and about things. So 
And then, yeah, I guess it's sort of like transitioned. And yeah, I guess I'm more, I felt things quite differently at the end of the deployment as I did at the start. The circumstances forced each of us to very early on have like consideration for the other person and what was going on with them. And I think that kind of like naturally sort of helped. I think it would have happened anyway, but it sort of like helped push our relationship down that path. And I think also it helped that, you know, he was in one location deployed, but when he was back in Australia, he was in another location posted. And that meant that he already had a career mapped out and it was in progress as to where that was going, what opportunities were open to him as far as postings and then how that life was shaping up and how we would have to be able to make sure that it was compatible. And at that time, I was in another location at university. We only had the one location in common, which is the town that our two families just happen to be from. So I'd be back there on university holidays um, and over the Christmas period, Jai would be back there over Christmas generally as well. And then, you know, we had to make sure how was my studies going to go? I was obviously two years into a five-year double degree. It was non-transferable to another university. You wouldn't get the course credits. And I was too far down the rabbit hole of a hex debt that it wasn't worth starting over again to retake courses. But there was also no way to streamline it and turn it into another degree. Um, it was really a case of either see it out where I was, which meant that we were already going to be put into a long distance relationship, which I guess the deployment had already put us into as well. So when he came home, the expectations were what we'd already been living and dealing with. So it didn't add any pressure when he did come home that we were in two different locations. Going into the deployment, obviously getting together with someone 10 days before you go on a deployment and then coming back and you know, navigating a long distance relationship. How did you get your head around going from one plan to this other plan where you have to sort of consider someone else in, you know, in future career locations? Obviously, if, you know, you're in love with someone and you want to be with that person, plans need to change to accommodate being with that person. How did you get your head around that? I didn't think about it too much at first, mainly because of just kind of like, enjoying this like spontaneity of being able to talk to her on the phone whenever I really wanted to or actually doing stuff with her after like transitioning from like the like um, old school like pen and paper style relationship living together was still a little way off so I think what that meant is like we had time to do in um, our own way what we're doing with the earlier part of the relationship like talk things out in detail and in depth and that's just the way both of us like to do things anyway and I think knowing that we didn't have the clock we weren't beating against the running against the clock straight away and we had a bit of time I think that's sort of like how we approached it like in a gradual method so that when the time came and it did come unexpectedly but we sort of already had a gradually worked out framework that we could kind of make out and adjust in our own time. So Julia were you worried about coming together and actually living together when you finally were able to be in the same location I know especially since you had been long distance from the start like you hadn't it's not like you've been in the location and gotten to know each other and seen each other a lot in location and then he'd moved away on a posting and then you'd come back together and finally moved in together what were your thoughts going into moving in together when you finally were in the one location? I was just excited, I think, because we'd had so much time to plan. We didn't have any hesitation. So we'd been able to do things like decide what dining table we wanted or what couch we were after and colours. And 
So as far as being able to move in together, everything was mapped out. We'd even mapped out, you know, when we were going to get that first dog and when we were going to get that second dog. The biggest thing that we did have to consider was obviously my career but that was an easy decision for me because I was like yes it sucks that I've got this law degree that I'm now not going to be able to graduate from um, or if I did graduate from I'd have the difficulty that I had graduated in New South Wales and would immediately need to cross the border and would I stay in location where I was and do my practical legal training or would I straight away make the switch across borders and try and do my practical legal training there and what were those barriers as well and then it just unexpectedly happened that Jai broke his ankle and this time he needed an ankle reconstruction. So I got on a flight that night down here to help him through that operation. We went out car shopping, ordered the car that we needed. So it was here in time. I think we picked it up two days before his surgery. And then I basically went back four months later, but that was just to sit my final exams that I deferred for that semester, um, pack the car up and then drove the next day, made the 10 hour drive from there straight through. And Jai, how were you feeling about Julia doing that and the fact that she was making those considerations with her law degree and and moving and, and all of that? I was a bit concerned about what was going to happen with her degree, but I guess we also knew that, it was going to be difficult in defence if you're going to potentially move from one place to another. And my understanding, which is obviously not as much as Julia's, is that, well, you know, you have to like requalify from one state to another as they've got different rules and jurisdictions and everything. Um, so I guess we'd already discussed like that she might have some difficulty in using it or might have to use it in like, um, I guess, like the, not the traditional way of using that degree and then sort of stuff like that and then going and being a lawyer. So I didn't quite necessarily think she was like giving up on something that she want, was going to do with her life. So, yeah, so that's what's kind of like feeling of multiple things at the same time. Concerned about my ankle, relief that Julia was there to help me with my ankle. Very happy that Julia and I were now living together and that came like almost very quickly. But then also still understanding she's like sacrificed, but then like relieved because you'd spoken about everything um, in advance. So it's kind of like feeling all of those things at the same time. You guys were really seeing each other properly, like as raw as you can be, like, you know, deployment, injury, recovery, helping him through that, having to be vulnerable with Julia Jai to accept that help and, you know, moving in together, like all of that happened, bang, bang, bang. So like you've got those foundations of no pretenses of, you know, I'm this person over the phone and and building it up into this fairy tale sort of thing. You really are getting the raw, real deal of what it's like to be together and a defense couple and all that comes with it. It was really interesting because I went from law school and and studying psychology as my second degree to looking after Jai and I took a night shift job working two o'clock in the afternoon until about one o'clock in the morning and that was just at a fuel station overnight and it was because that routine allowed me to help Jai with rehab so when we had met, he was in living accommodation. He didn't drive either. Um, and suddenly there were extra doctor's appointments and it, he was at home as well and he couldn't shower on his own. He was in a wheelchair and it was a good three months post-operation before he was really able to, you know, stand for longer than an hour on that leg. And so just getting him to and from all the doctor's appointments. And then, of course, there weren't just doctor's appointments. There was rehab appointments. And then you've got to get him down to the pool in time. And you've got to sign him 
in at the gate, well, he's got to sign me in at the gate because we weren't recognised in our relationship with defence. So I didn't have a base pass. So, you know, every time we were doing one of these appointments, it was pull up at the front gate, get him into the wheelchair to get down to the window to sign in, to put him back in the car, to then be able to go on the base to do all of this. So it really was quite raw as well because then you know we had full-on days just dealing between his pain and his rehab and appointments and then of course I'm watching the clock to get to work by two o'clock and then I'm so tired when I get home it's essentially you know about five hours before I'm back up and doing it again for the next day Um, so it certainly wasn't easy to fit into that and you know we did have some letdowns as well with his rehab um, and we also had some setbacks in terms of the support that came along with that Um, so there was a lot to cope with initially. And Jai how long did it then take for you to recover and I guess then what job did you go into once you'd recovered and how long was it before you had another deployment like was it you know bang 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 and you know were you feeling like this is a lot for Julia to take on? Um, yeah, I was feeling like it was a lot to take on. I definitely felt a little bit better in the situation in myself as I started to get more capable in, my, in just day-to-day life, as I felt like every time I was able to start doing something, I was taking something off Julia's shoulders and bearing that weight myself because at the start it was very unbalanced. So I think it was exactly a month from when I actually busted my ankle to when I had the reconstruction. And I think all up, it was probably like a nine-month journey to getting upgraded again it wasn't the first time I'd done the ankle but that one time it was about nine months and you know gradually getting more capable towards the end however I went from upgrading to pretty much immediately starting pre-deployment training to deploy again I think it was almost like on the day or maybe within a couple of days of like when I um, upgraded that I got put on a slot for deployment although I knew it was coming beforehand so if I hadn't got injured I would have deployed and then but I obviously was unable to and so when the next deployment had come around immediately after that one I was immediately on it. The plus side was that you know in a bad circumstance which is having to be injured and the recovery of for that was that like you mentioned you got you guys got to spend that time together face to face and live together but then the downside was that straight up you were having to go on to that list for the for a deployment like how hard was that to then think we've just been able to move in together and now I'm going to be off again yeah it was kind of hard especially as it was almost like you know she's been made all these sacrifices and then like I'm immediately going away again and so that kind of, yeah, it was sort of weird. Like I think in that um, year, year and a half, we that she went through so many things like rapid fire one after the other, you know, like just like you're saying, like, you know, bang, bang, bang. The only, I guess for me, like I've focused on the silver lining in that, um, you know, we'd already spoken about what we were doing as far as, you know, like furniture and stuff like that for a house. And the next thing for us was buying a house together. So the silver lining that I guess I focused on, and I think Julie did as well, though I'm sure she'll clarify this, is like, okay, this now brings us buying our own house further forward like you know we can now fast forward that the same way we almost like fast forwarded living together by the time you'd gotten through that next deployment and bought a house and then had the wedding and and I guess everything sort of calmed down and you were just into normal life like living Monday to Friday like what were you feeling when everything sort of settled and it was just normal life like yes I didn't know how I was going to feel because I thought well I'm going to come back to a completely different like situation to like a house that we bought while I was overseas. I was going to come back to a house I hadn't seen ever. And so I kind of like, yeah, came home and got the grand tour of my own house because I'd never seen it before. So I thought it was going to be a little bit more surreal 
than it actually was. And I don't mean like it was, it was definitely, I was very happy to be home, but we'd spoken about everything so much that I kind of like knew all the problems, you know, like in your house, you know, what was good, what was bad, what we were going to do with it. It was more like um, getting the final um, confirmation of everything that uh, I knew about the house. So like, I guess coming back, I thought, yeah, I thought, I don't know how I'm going to feel. Like I'm going to, everything's going to be different. New house, settling in, go get married, all this other kind of stuff like that. Um, And I thought it was going to be a lot more mentally draining and hectic than it actually was. I think that because of all the work that like we'd done talking kind of, and of course a lot of the organisation work Julia had to do, um, but she was at least we were at least talking about it, made it a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. I think it wasn't yet yeah, until like the honeymoon, I guess, that like everything could properly relax because there wasn't something like um, immediately like something that we had to had to work on. I, I do agree that like I was feeling like it was going to be incredibly like draining and hectic and it wasn't it was busy but it wasn't until that busyness dropped off on the honeymoon that I guess I kind of finally sort of slowed down off the momentum that I'd been on for a while. Nine out of ten defence spouses wish they found out about defence banks sooner. Okay I might have just made that up and they do sponsor my podcast but I've checked them out and I think they're worth a look just for their banking app alone. It's award-winning, has cool features like fast same-day payments, card alerts and controls and pin change functionality, savings roundups, Apple Pay, Google Pay, Fitbit Pay, Garmin Pay, the list goes on. Oh and if you really want to go to a branch you can. There are 33 on-base branches across Australia. Banking as a defence spouse doesn't have to be hard. For more info, visit defencebank.com.au. And did you guys talk about what type of communication you wanted to have while you were deployed, Jai? Like some military members say that, oh, it's just easier if I just don't hear about what's going on at home or unless it's really urgent because I'm over here and I can't do anything. And also some spouses think oh, I'm not going to burden him or her with that because they can't do anything or I don't want to put extra pressure on them. Like how important do you think it is to keep communication open? So you are on the same page when you come back and you do know what's going on at home and you feel like you just sort of slot back into things. And it's not like this big adjustment because you've been out of the loop for six, seven, eight months. It's kind of hard to say, like, you know, like I think different couples and different people and different operations are going to be in very different circumstances. I think the thing that worked for us is that, well, first of all, like, uh, yeah, we did talk about what we were going to do. It became aware to me from speaking to other people who, you know, who were coming off that deployment that I was going to have more access to a phone than I had before. So I was able to speak to her for a little while at least and still had, like, and I had, I guess, more reliable internet. So, like, there was more opportunity for me to actually remain in touch with Julia. So we knew that going in. I kind of knew that she was didn't have like the immediate support network with her so that I knew I needed to be able to talk to her. I knew that especially with wedding planning and everything, you know you're going to have dramas and it's for Julia and I to talk about those dramas and I'm the one who's like going to have to hear about everything from her like and, and listen to her, like her so that she can talk to me about the problem she's having. We can talk about what we were going to have to do. So I knew that I had to like make sure that I was definitely like talking to her and about what was going on at home because, well, especially with some of the wedding stuff and the house stuff, well, I have to be involved. But it wasn't that I didn't want to be involved, but I was aware because I did, but I was aware that like that was like something that like needed to be done. But I think it had, um, because a lot of the stuff was yet again, something that julia and i were dealing with as a team as like an obstacle or problem like getting the house or worrying about like like organizing the wedding and pulling all of that off i think that in my mind how i tried to think about it was rather than i'm over here and i can't help at home 
Yeah, so I, I knew that if I was, I needed to know to myself like how things were going at home for me to be at ease on it. For me, I don't think knowing nothing would have helped because I would have, I wouldn't have known if things were good. So if I heard the good and the bad and the ugly for me, then at least I knew how things were and that like I could talk and turn, I could maybe, you know, suggest solutions that may or may not work, but at least I could do something about it because at least if things were okay or things were like, you know, in the gray area, like, you know, um, things frequently are, at least I knew. I think for me, I was more concerned about the unknown, but by having those two, by having those problems that we could solve together though, it broke me out of the I'm over here mentality and Julia's over somewhere else. And for me, that kind of mindset of viewing it in that way kind of broke me out of like trying to think about it is like two different sides of the of a coin and like two you know two different sides or in two different places julia do you feel like that then made having that communication and keeping each other across what was going on made the transition of jai coming back and you know straight into last minute wedding stuff and then the wedding honeymoon and all that that sort of stuff that made it easier for him to come back and just kind of slot back in yeah, so I think it definitely made it easy for him because he knew the lay of the land with everything. Um, so we had discussed in detail, you know, even with the house purchase there, when the report came back from the building inspection, we, you know, sat down and over the phone read those 70 pages and went, oh, yeah, so on this issue, you know, we're going to go back to them and, and ask for a price reduction and things like that. So he was across everything. And obviously, before he left, we had redone his will and that had been written in anticipation of marriage um, so that if anything did happen to him he knew that I was going to be looked after and then we'd also put in place a power of attorney for Jai so I have his power of attorney which I had registered um, which luckily was just something that the textbooks at law school had told me about in relation to being able to deal with his super in relation to being able to deal with the bank and put this home in 50% of his name um, at the land titles office and then there was obviously being able to have the rates and everything registered to him as well without then having to add another thing when he got home about signing over paperwork to gift him 50% and then there was also it allowed me to deal with DVA on his behalf as far as being able to get the Doha's loan set up um, and then Jai was all across HPAS as well so he pushed that through I pushed Doha's through once he applied for the certificate so it made it much easier because when he came home he didn't have a list of things to do either because I was able to do every element of everything and I'm very much a cross the T's um, and dot the I's person. So I like to have a list and make sure that if a job is done, it's actually fully complete in every element. And then I was keeping in touch with all of the sides of the, the two families as well. So, and Jai's always said that it doesn't matter what the issue is, don't leave him out of the loop. If he's outfield or on deployment and the worst happens, tell him right away he doesn't want to find out after the fact and be left out and then you know feeling guilty for having to deal with it later because it's like oh well I'm over there and I can't do anything anyway um, he wants to know so he can do what he can from where he can. So Jai when you're career planning and thinking about I guess future postings what do you consider and what do you both consider when it comes time to think about that and plan that is it a joint decision do you think about location and and what would be best for both of you how do you come to those decisions definitely joint decisions i mean they have to be like most anything like is important that is like where you're living and what you're doing but anything like that has to be joint you can't have 
a relationship that's going to be based on trust if one person is unilaterally making decisions. Certainly, like the defence member has to be able to trust, trust their spouse because you're going to be away and you've got to be able to trust what's going on while you're not there. And it doesn't just mean like trust as if they're going to go do something, you know, that, um, you know, that they're okay, they understand, like, you know, they're confident, you know, like it's, um, you need to have that trust and you can't have that at all if someone's making unilateral decisions and you're not doing things as a joint couple. So if it's not joint, you're just going to introduce a whole bunch of problems. I don't know how that would work for anyone. And so in your mind, if there did come a time where defence life wasn't working for you both, have you had a discussion about what that would entail or how you would go forward um, if it wasn't uh, working any longer? Well, yeah, well, you definitely are aware of it. Like certainly in defence, like everyone's going to leave sooner or later. That you can't stay in defence indefinitely. Like everyone will leave one way or another. So you're definitely aware of it. You have to think about what you might do. You have to have like an exit plan and you're potentially going to have to change that over time as your circumstances change. And like you're in different stages in your life and you have different, you know, whether you do or don't have kids or and all the other different types of things um, that are going on. I was definitely always been aware, especially as well, like we started living together and everything was joint in the environment where I had a medical injury and was facing a reconstruction. And you don't always know how that's going to plan out. Like you may not recover. I may not have recovered well enough to continue defence. I might have had to go do something else in defence. So I certainly you know, um, had it in my mind, and so did Julia, that like we had to like yeah face like what what do we do if this doesn't work out? And so you've always got to have your exit strategy. You've always got to think about what could happen because anything could happen. Like defence could restructure, and your career may not be going the kind of place that you thought was going to happen. And that could be like, no, you know, no, no one's, you haven't done anything wrong, you haven't been injured, and just things could move around or defence could change in some way. And like there's a, there's a million things that could change and that could cause circumstances not to work for you anymore. And Julia, at the moment, you, you guys are MWDU and I guess experiencing isolation and lockdown and, and all that comes with what's happening in the world at the moment and very limited reunion visits. Can you talk to us about how you envisioned MWDU working and what the reality has been during COVID? Yeah, we envisioned MWDU working very differently, working in our favour instead of actually against us. And then obviously the biggest battle has been the borders being closed. So my current job allows me the flexibility to just pick up my little floppy sized computer or my laptop and I can go and work from Jai's location and I can do that for as long as I can get care for the dog. So if I want to go and spend a month working out of his location, I can. Um, he's got the internet and everything set up, so that was fine. But obviously now we're in two different states um, and with the borders closed as well. And then Jai also on the COVID operation assist, we're not able to do that and we don't have a timeline for when we're going to be able to see each other again. We were very fortunate enough that he was able to come home for a month, um, so around the end of May and start of June. So a lot of other families are worse off than us. You know, they're currently at, at 10 months or more that they haven't seen each other and, and no end date in sight. So we definitely know that we've been luckier than some, but it's still not making it easier. And so everything's just up in the air and it's a real spanner in the works of the plan that we had laid out for these two years. And do you feel like that there's this different level of, I guess, empathy from people in regard to even 
you know, family and friends that might not get defense life and, and how it works and separation with regard to, well, you know, it's okay. You've got the dogs. You, you're not locked down with kids. You don't have the stresses of having to have kids at home and that sort of thing, that there's a different level of empathy that you'll be right because you're just looking after yourself and it shouldn't be that stressful. You're just working from home. Like how have you found that side of things? I found it really difficult because going back 12 months now, I sustained a pretty horrific injury that crippled me with both my arms and I'm still dealing with that injury now, but it's actually up in my um, spine and and neck now. So obviously, in addition to dealing with COVID itself and lockdown um, and isolation, um, and then also dealing with long distance and MWDU, there was adding that on top of it because even in these circumstances, that hasn't been possible for Jai to get home and assist. And I've, I've been 100% on my own here. Um, our friends have all posted out, unfortunately, last year saw the last of them leave as well. And being at home with work, um, even if I'm in the office environment, my colleagues, they aren't defence spouses and to a large extent, we've still been so isolated from our families that they don't really see what defence is and they just see you as as coping because you're still together and you're happy and people don't really see when you're down, you're down because they're not around to see that and when you're talking to them, you know, it's not in that moment where you're manic or you're really depressed. But yeah, it's absolutely hard and I myself have felt the opposite of empathy from colleagues um, and it's not every colleague but from colleagues to our friends as well and again it's not every friend but I've had comments made to me in the workplace by um, not my current boss thank goodness you know oh well you choose this lifestyle we don't need to make any accommodations for you um, when they were talking about forced leave at work and having to reduce your, your leave balance and I said oh look you know Christmas is the only time that I can really count on my leave being able to sync up with hubbies I'd be so grateful if I could do even customer service work instead of my normal job if, if that work runs out due to COVID if I can just keep that leave up my sleeve um, because you know I'm not the spouse who goes home and has their husband walk in the door every night or I'm not the spouse sitting at home working from home with a spouse who's going to walk in and see me at four o'clock tonight Um, and right now I don't have a timeline on when I'll be able to see him and every day that passes is going to make every day of leave that I have even more critical but yeah it honestly hasn't been very nice some of the things that people have said to me well you choose this lifestyle you chose MWDU and we were like, well, to an extent, but really a lot of your choices when your defence are very materialistic choices because you don't always materially make them. Sometimes it's the circumstance of whatever the defence regulation requires or whatever the operation that they're doing requires that you just have to support. And so for us, we're MWDU now because his location was rural, not metro, and I was looking at a three-hour return commute for work to the nearest city a day. Um, And we just added that up and went, look, it's not worth it. But then it's also not one of these situations where in today's age we can afford to have spouses out of work. We already know that there's higher unemployment rate for defence spouses. And every day that we're not working, we're not getting superannuation paid, which means that that affects life at the other end, potentially when the member's out of the uniform and you are wanting to retire. Yeah, I, I myself certainly haven't felt anything remotely close to empathy really outside of the military community itself and in large part 
the empathy that I have felt um, has only been from your community, Beck. So if you hadn't created military wife life, you know, I'm not even sure that I would have felt any empathy. I love the way that you've just put all of that in regard to even going in depth about super and unemployment and all of that sort of stuff. But, you know, I guess when the colleague makes the comment at work, you're not really going to go into the essay of, well, actually being a defense spouse is about this, this and this. Like people do not know, I guess, the things that we face the underlying things that we face that we that worry us and that keep keep us up at night some nights because we're trying to make the best of a, a situation where you know whichever decision we make it's not 100% the one that we want to make but we just try to make the best of it and jai how have you been feeling obviously being separated and with julia going through all of that and you know you don't have the choice of well, I'll just go back while the borders are open and I'll work from home. Like that, that's not an option. You have to be where you have to be for defense. How were you feeling, you know, being separated and seeing all of this play out from afar? Certainly yeah, quite, uh, quite unexpected. Like, yeah, we did not, it did not, the year has not gone the way I thought it has, it was going to, sorry, at all. I guess the day to day is not as different as once I started thinking all this COVID stuff started developing this year. It didn't go as differently, I guess, between me and Julia as I thought in the sense that, you know, we're still just talking on the fire and we're still doing what we normally do. I guess it's kind of made it a little bit difficult to sort of to plan things in the way that we have before. I guess it's the, um, the biggest thing. Like normally we'd, we had a plan, it's like around this time of the year, we're going to try and travel this way and we're going to go try and do this thing together. And I guess they were the things that we were looking forward to. They were going to be our little um, our little breathers throughout the year. They were going to be our things that we were working towards that were going to make the whole rest of it worth it. And they've all completely evaporated really. So I guess, yeah, the biggest thing, I guess, for me is I just kind of got to the point of acceptance. Well, I've got to get back when I can get back. And it's not that I, you know, that I don't speak to we don't plan about it or that we haven't talked about it, but there's literally only so much that can be done. All you can do is just wait it out and just be flexible with your plans. The fact that I got back for a month was just like, you know, when there was just a bit of luck or where the restrictions lifted and got a little bit easier for a while. And um, that happened at relatively short notice and then came back and then locked down that that wasn't going to happen again for a while. So almost like an acceptance of like, we will just make the best out of it. And so what do you both do to look after yourselves mental health wise and, you know, having some things for yourselves when you're in your own locations, what is it that you focus on or do for yourselves to look after your mental health? For us, it's largely about making sure that, you know, what's going on in life isn't just monotonous tasks for us, the weekly cleaning or the weeding of the garden. For our mental health, the one thing that really helps us is those cemented goalposts that we're always working towards. And then for us, you know, when Jai is home, we always make Sunday a date day in our house. And it doesn't mean that it has to be something flashy like a trip to a winery or out to a fancy lunch or anything like that sometimes it's literally just a simple trip to Bunnings um, and picking up the things that are on our list that we need there like and even without him here I'll try and take him along Um, I might be on the phone to him talking or texting him photos at Bunnings being like I think I'm going to get this plant and do this in the garden or he's very much into his barbecue so if I'm in a barbecue store or Bunnings I'll be taking photos of all the new supplies. And Jai how about you because you know you are at the moment assisting with COVID and all that comes with that and in isolation or lockdown when you're not you know doing your shift with for that 
how are you staying on top of your mental health and, and I guess getting through those days where you are alone a lot of the time? Well, I guess the main thing I'm sort of doing is well, obviously just talking to Julia, like you said, like you said, has like those goalposts and everything and kind of by having them, you always feel in some way like you're making progress. So even if, you know, you're having just in general, like, you know, things, as long as something is improving or progressing towards, it's kind of like helps me feel a little bit better. But I also tend to like, I might play video games or I read books or I do all those kinds of things and like I like to do them and I can do them by myself. So that at least gives me something as a bit of an outlet, as well as the fact that you've always got all the people, I guess for me, like, you know, like, or maybe stuck alone at certain times, like in the evenings, but then you go to work and you work with other people. And I guess defense is also kind of social. So you socialize with your colleagues at work. For me as well, making sure I'm actually, you know, I have a reasonable routine, making sure I'm actually getting enough sleep, getting up at a reasonable time in the morning. If I know, just for me, if I let my sleep pattern get thrown off too much or out of control that just makes things just more difficult so i'm making you know make sure i try and keep without it trying to be too monotonous but trying making sure i try and keep a routine at least for me makes things a lot easier well thank you so much julia and jai for coming on the military wife life podcast and sharing all that you've been through and you know advice and the ups and downs and i guess opening up about how to get on the same page and communicate with each other and all that goes into planning those joint goals and just awesome to hear that you guys have been together for quite some time but a lot of it has been spent apart or you know unexpected things happen but you guys have pulled through and are stronger than ever so it's awesome to hear that you know a defense couple can go through those ups and downs and still be as strong as you guys thanks for having us I so hope you were able to relate or take something away from today's episode. There are definite ups and downs to military life, but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in this together. We are all just doing our best. So until next week, you got this. Let's do this together one day at a time. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has touched you, helped you, or given you that extra confidence to keep going, to continue to hold down the home front, to continue to do all the things, I would so appreciate it if you could pop into Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, a comment about what you would like to hear more of, or just some encouraging words. If you want to suggest a guest, I am always looking for new people to talk to. You can do that by jumping over to the website www.militarywifelife.com.au and clicking on our podcast page. I would love to hear from you. 